got really into the book of Ephesians last week, and uh, whereas we were going over the background and history of what led up to the letter itself, and uh, that was looking at what happened and what transpired in Ephesus, Acts 19 and, ver- and chapter 20 as well. So tonight we're going to pick up where we left off last week. So let's go ahead and read our opening text this evening. And that'll be in Ephesians in chapter 1. We're looking at verses 1 through 6 uh, last week, this week. And uh, probably we have, we'll have another week involved uh, in this particular section. And then we'll get into verses 7 and beyond. So in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. According as as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. In the beloved. So the meaning, as we get into verse 3 tonight, as we look back, we pick up where we left off in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of, I'm sorry, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. We went over seven spiritual blessings that we find uh, within this book last week. But it says, in heavenly places. So just to kind of pick up a little review of where we left off last week, the meaning of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, is very clear. That spiritually, you and I are seated upstairs at this particular moment right now. We see the same thing in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6. So being in Christ, we are present before the throne of God, okay? As, as, as you know, he could be in two places at the same time. We are two places at the same time, okay? So we now occupy two localities, and we cross-referenced that last week uh, with a handful of verses that we will not repeat tonight and go over. But the heavenly places are real places. And one of the reasons, again, this particular book is attacked in the manner that it is, is because of this, one of this, of this ideology here. Not only the predestination that we're going to dig into tonight, but the heavenly places. They are literal places. They're not just the heavenlies, as uh, some of, uh, say, the new translations would try to teach us. So we want to separate the real science, which is found in the authorized version here, from modern so-called science, as we read about in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6 and verse 20. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called. Now, anyone who says, I believe science, but I don't believe the Bible, they believe neither. Because the Bible is a book of science. God created science, okay? And it is in the Word of God. Matter of fact, if you look at the most profound and godly and profound scientists, the ones who have really discovered, the ones that achieved, uh, uh, achieved true science, if you will, they were all Bible believers. They were all Christians. The majority of them were. 
Okay, all of them. Sir Isaac Newton. When you begin to look at it, they recognize the God of the universe, the creator. They were not these deniers. It was these, these science falsely so-called, such as Darwin, who was a failed uh, individual in his life with everything. Okay, Charles Darwin was a failure. If you look at his life, he was a, not only a failure, he was uh, an incredible racist. He, he, I mean, he, why somebody, why a group of people would follow anything that he, write, he writes or wrote is beyond me, okay? Uh, he's the root and the ground of communism, if you will. Uh, so nonetheless, we won't, you know, traipse down that road right now. But the Bible is a book of science, and so we separate the real science, which is found in the Word of God, which gives birth. False science gives birth to post-millennial teaching. It gives birth to amillennial false belief system. And this is the same thought that has sought to convince the believer the literal physical heavens are not a real locality in the divine plan of God. The believer, guys, uh, rather is to be content with spiritual blessings in heavenly, the heavenly realm. That's from the, the New English Bible. Or uh, every spiritual gift in the heavenly world. That's your good news Bible, which is, you know, uh, trash. But anyway, uh, e or every spiritual blessing in heavenly realm. That's the Amplified New Testament. Again, guys, you're just picking apart by the words they choose to use and how they attack the, the scriptures. You see the validity and the truth uh, that it is. So these, these so-called Christians, if you will, who are on the earth, must be a peculiar breed, to be honest with you. We as saved uh, Christians are joined to a body. All right, we're joined to a body whose head is in heaven. All right, we share the heavenly position as part of that body. We are one spirit with a, with a spirit who fills the universe, and we are only absent from the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter five. We are only absent from the Lord in regard to our physical body. So it should not be a stretch for you tonight, as a Bible believer, to understand that you are in too low. If you're saved tonight. Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, you are literally in two locations. We are in Jesus Christ spiritually. He is sat at the right hand of the throne of the Father, which is a literal physical place in the third heaven, beyond that crystal sea, amen, which is the end of all creation, the end of the universe, if you will, where that throne sits upon that crystal sea. That's the separation from the third and the second heaven. That is the cutoff point um, for Lucifer, Satan. He cannot go beyond uh, that area. He was removed from that area, according to Isaiah 14. Understand what I'm saying? So I'm saying all that to, to let us know this. It should not be a far stretch for you to understand that you are in two locations tonight, spiritually in Jesus Christ in the heaven and physically sat down here on earth until you were joined unto him. All right? The teaching of this spiritual blessings in heavenly world and blotty, blotty, blotty. Uh, that's, where, that's where ridiculous and crazy, that's where soul sleeping ideology comes from. Okay? Soul sleeping, mind you. All right? So the statement in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 was plainly spiritual blessings. Nothing physical was mentioned in regard to blessings. Our physical blessings are yet future. cross reference this from the screen, 1 Corinthians 15 verses 49 and 55. And as, uh, and as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth um, corruption inherit corruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of the eye, the last trump, uh, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall uh, be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, 
All right? For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal uh, must put on immortality. And when this corruptible, that's our flesh, uh, shall put on incorruption, and this mortal, that's our living body, uh, shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying uh, that is written, Death is swallowed in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? We've already gone home to glory in the Spirit, guys. Now, the insertion of places by the King James translators shows that they had a grasp of the New Testament truth, which is denied today by your liberal, critical text authors who, are, who, in all fairness, are probably still dead in trespass and sin. Anybody who would omit these things from Scripture, the, the, the importance of them, I would highly doubt that they are bearing the same Holy Spirit that we are being saved. All right? Now, I'm saying all that, guys, to understand the, the verses we just read. When you look at verse uh, 54, so when this corruptible shall put on incorruption. Who is that? That is the, the, the saved, born-again individual who has died and been buried in the grave. All right? What, is, what does that mean? It means that this fleshly body has ceased to live. Therefore, what is it doing while it's in the earth? It is corrupting, isn't it? It is, it is decaying. So that corruptible now puts on incorruption. That is that new body, okay? Then it says, and this mortal shall put on immortality. Who is that? Those are, those are they, Paul says, we shall not all sleep, meaning we shall not all die. Some of us are going to be alive when the rapture happens. And I pray to God that I am. I pray to God to be right now. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'd love it to happen right here, right now. But the ones that are alive, as we read about in 1 Thessalonians 4, those that are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them that are in the clouds, and forever we shall be with the Lord. Amen? That's the mortal putting on immortality. Now, we just read a moment ago in 1 Corinthians 15 that it says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. There's one thing missing. Okay, why can't your blood inherit the kingdom of God? Did Adam and Eve have blood when they were created? No, they did not. What did they partake of out of that tree? They took what kind of fruit did they take of? Wasn't an apple. It was a grape. The Bible tells us that the, 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 the vine tree it speaks of. It says, for the life is in the flesh of the blood. And then it speaks about the blood of the grape. Adam and Eve did not need blood to sustain their life. Their life was sustained by God. They were connected to God. So their eternal life, they were not born to die or created to die, if you will. But when they took of that fruit, they took of that blood, and then they saw that they were, what? Naked. Prior to that, they could not know nor see. They had not the knowledge of nakedness. One could even say they had not, people say, well, what color were they? Mary color. That's a southern term, Dav. You probably never heard that one. They were nary a color. That means they was no color. They were more than likely translucent. I don't know what they look like. I know they look like man and a woman, okay? But to think that they had a flesh tone when they were created is foolish. Because they didn't have the blood inside the body to sustain their life because the Holy Spirit did. Do you understand? And that blood gave them their pigmentation, Okay? Now, all of that, I know that's all free tonight, okay? That won't cost, you, won't cost you a penny tonight. It says, flesh and blood shall not inherit the earth. Why? This flesh is what? This flesh was born to die. This is corruptible, right? That blood is where the sin comes from because it was passed down from Adam, right? 
Didn't say anything about bone, though, did it? Ooh, that's a rocky boat tonight, and I want it. Flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom. Didn't say one thing about blood. Hmm. I'll let that one sit with you tonight. Nothing about bone, did it? Flesh and blood can't go. Why? Because you get a new body. What are they going to put that body on? Oh, we're just going to float around. Who's ever going to float around? Where, where, do you, where, do you, where do you get that? Where, where do you get the idea that we're going to float around like some naked baby up on a, a cloud, man? You know? See, see we, people believe cartoons more than they do the preacher. Jesus Christ told Mary, touch me yet before I have yet to ascend. Touch me not for I have yet to ascend to my Father. He ascended unto his Father to take his blood upon the heavenly mercy seat and came back down here within that eight-day period of his resurrection. And then what did he say to Thomas? Here's my side. Put your hand in it. He sat down, did he not? When they made some fish on the seashore? Had a meal? Hmm. Doesn't sound like to me he was floating around anywhere. Oh, but preacher, he appeared and disappeared. Man, he's God. He can do what he wants to do. Bone or no bone, okay? Now see, think about this for just a second. You either believe the Bible tonight or you don't. And these Bible correctors see verses like we're reading, flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God, and they don't go, what about bone? They don't use what's in between their ears, so therefore they change the scripture to fit their ideology. And that's where you get false doctrines from. That's where you get doctrines of annihilation of hell that the JWs teach. That's where you get, that's where they change one punctuation mark in the Bible. What did Jesus Christ say to that thief on the cross? I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Your modern translations will change a punctuation mark that says, I say unto you today that y'all shall be with me in heaven, that you'll be with me in heaven today. I'm sorry, you'll be with me in heaven. Now, if I change that comma and put it where it doesn't belong, it makes it sound like I paused where I, where I, where I didn't pause. So if I say to Dav, I say, I say unto you, today thou shalt be with me in paradise, right? That means you are going with me today to paradise. Now, if I move that comma behind it, I say, I say unto thee, I say unto thee today, I say unto thee today, pause, thou shalt be with me in paradise. It shows that I'm only telling you today. It's got nothing to do with being absent from the body of the presence of the Lord. And I know I'm jumping around from here to there, but I'm telling you how small, minute, seemingly insignificant things, once they're changed, changes an entire doctrine, and it gives a, uh, um, it gives a garden for false beliefs to be taught, all millennialism, post-millennialism, uh, you name it. A guy put out a, a video the other day on one of the pages about taking the mark of the beast and all this and that, and his big push was, are you going to take the mark? And I rarely do this. I said, no, I ain't taking no mark. It won't be offered to me. I'm part of the, I'm part, I'm saved, born again of the blood of Christ. I'm part of the church. By the time the mark is offered in Revelation 13, I'm going to be out of here for three and a half years. Amen. And there's a lot of people that got on there and said, amen, amen, amen. The author didn't say anything, which is smart. But anyway, saying all that, guys, to say this, believe the Bible. Spiritually, we have gone home to glory. Physically, we are not there yet. Those who take, the, take their Bible studies seriously have learned to take the critical text authors with nothing but a grain of salt. 
Now the Bible tells us here in verse 4. According as he, as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. At this point, John Calvin and others went to absolute pieces. When, when it gets the, chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, they just lose every bit right here. And there was men such as like A.W. Pink, who, in all fairness, A.W. Pink is, has some good writings, has some good preaching, but he is a Calvinist at the root. And others of their lot, guys, they've been trying to pick up those pieces ever since John Calvin lost it. The forcing of the word foreknowledge in Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 1, they attempt to show someone is trying to get you in Christ. Watch this, before Christ ever showed up. When you, when you force that word into Ephesians chapter 1, the Bible says chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, okay? According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, we don't see anything there, do we, about, what, about uh, the insertion of foreknowledge. The Calvinists, be it a hyper-Calvinist, a non-hyper-Calvinist, listen, uh, you know, a Calvinist, no matter how they divide their levels up, some say I'm a five-point Calvinist, three-point Calvinist, two-point Calvinist. A Calvinist is akin to a Bible cracker is a hog is a sow. One, one point or five points, period. It's just the way it is. If you are a Calvinist, guys, you are a Bible corrector. So we still see them lurking behind every single word and the thought of, of perhaps the believer. Somehow they try to teach that the believer was in Christ. Watch this one now. Before he was in Adam, which is contrary to Holy Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, for as in Adam all die. And the last time I checked, all means all, and that's all all means. For in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall be made alive. So instead of wasting time with, an, with really and truly an obtuse analysis, I want to state the fact squarely tonight on where we stand of being chosen, uh, chosen us uh, before the foundation of the world, let's see where everyone stands and, and, and understand what the Scripture says. First of all, no one was in Christ until they're born again. Okay? Until they're born again. All right? Secondly, every soul was in Adam when Adam died. Every soul. Third, the elect were not in Christ. They were aliens they were alone in the world. They were children of the wrath. They were uh, dead in trespasses and sin. They were without hope. They were without God. And they were unknown. Galatians chapter 4, verse 7 and 9 says, Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which uh, by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God. Let me reread that. But now, oh, wait a second, let me go back again. But now... After that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, wherein do ye desire again to be in bondage? He said, but now. In other words, there was a time when you didn't know God, and you wasn't known of God. You were unknown. But all of a sudden, now you know God, and you know the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And he's rebuking them for going back to their own understanding. Ephesians in chapter 2, verse 1. And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. We skip down to verse 3. Among whom also uh, we had all our conversation, had our, um, we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh 
and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And in verse 12, the Bible says that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, Paul's writing unto Gentile uh, believers who are saved, born again, on their way to heaven. He said, there was a time when you was never in Christ. You were an alien. You were worshiping false gods. So, beloved, let me ask you a question. Two different churches Paul's writing here to, making it very clear that at one time they didn't know God, they wasn't known of God, uh, making it clear that you were dead in trespasses and sin, making it clear that they had their, uh, their life, their conduct, their conversation it is, uh, in times past, in the lust of the flesh, to fulfill the desires of the flesh, saying that you were without Christ, saying you're aliens from commonwealth, all this and that. And then you're going to tell me, you're going to try to shove foreknowledge into verse 4? You're going to try to correct the Bible and say, chosen us in Him? When you get to verse 5, having predestinated us to the adoption of children um, uh, by Jesus Christ, yet you, you're in Jesus Christ before Jesus Christ died on the cross? You're, you're in, you, you were in Adam, now you're in Christ? And, and, and you're back in I mean, you tell me where in the world that even adds up. It doesn't add up. And, and to kick it all off, where our, our uh, little Bible correctors love to go, they love going to the Greek, they just go into the wrong one. The, the Greek word for chosen in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, is found in Acts 13, 17, Mark 13, 20, John 15, 19, Romans 9, 11, Romans 11, 5, 1 Corinthians 1, 27, and other places in the Bible. And there is not one case where it occurs that it even refers to anything decreed before the foundation of the world. Neither Jacob nor Israel were chosen before the foundation of the world. Neither was Paul nor Abraham. We're not chosen before. It has nothing to do with it. Guys, the believer, now look at this. I got this on the screen for your benefit. The believer was chosen from the beginning, according to 1 Thessalonians 2.13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and the belief of the truth. How, how, how is he then elected before the beginning? Does that make sense? I mean, so, you know, the Calvinists want to teach that, oh my goodness, man, uh, then it's got to be just preordained from, you know, before time, Okay. It's chosen from the beginning, yeah? But what's those last four words? What's the conjunction? It says sanctification of the Spirit. That means the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and gets rid of your trespasses and sins and seals you. But how do you get it? There's a conjunction that connects that, that you got to have both in order to be saved. Belief of the truth. If you don't believe the truth, guess what? You're not saved. You're not sanctified of the Spirit. You're not born again. You're not going to heaven. You're going to die and go to hell. Oh, but I'm chosen. No, you're not. If you don't believe the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't care what mom and daddy and grandpappy said, you are not going to heaven tonight. So if the election, guys, if the election is eternal, how are you sanctified in eternity? Look at this verse. Here's another one that'll, that'll smoke your pipe for you. 
1 Peter 1, 2. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. So in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, clearly states that you were anything but sanctified. It says here, it says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you are, um, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. So I come back again. If that election was eternal, how did you get sanctified in eternity? How, was it, how did you come to the point that you were ever without Christ? There's so many verses that show that we were aliens, we were unknown, we, were no, we had no hope whatsoever. Guys, do you realize, do you realize if the Apostle Paul would not have brought the gospel to Rome, do you realize what the great, we would be doing one or two things here on this island. We would still be bowing down to Celtic gods, worshiping gods that were made with hands and sacrificing babies, all right? Or we will be worship a Roman god called Catholicism. If the gospel didn't make it to Rome, and that little Welsh girl bring it back over here, okay? If, if that gospel had never came to our island right here, guys, we would either be staunch Roman Catholics. You say, wait a second, what about, what about Henry VIII who chucked the monasteries out? Yeah, he did that in the name of the, to make a new church, okay? He did that to get a divorce, I understand. But there had to be Christianity of some root to be on our island, guys, in order for that to happen. Do you understand what I'm saying tonight? We were completely without hope in life. And Jesus Christ died on that cross. That's what saved our soul. Not being part of the elect from before time. Matter of fact, I'll tell you this, if, if, if the call precedes the election, then how do you explain Matthew 21, I mean 22 verse 14? For many are called, right? But few are chosen. The call always precedes the election. And yet Calvinists want to teach that you're, you're elected from before the world. The call comes first. The election comes second. Guys, these verses, you know what they do? They irritate Calvinists. They irritate, they want to call themselves Reformed theologians. They irritate that. I didn't get any nasty emails last week. I probably will this week. That's fine. They struggle to see past their own pride. They struggle to see past their own elitism to accept the fact that the Scripture is holy, pure, perfect. It's preserved. And to allow the Scripture to answer the Scripture instead of their leaders, their idols, and their commentaries to corrupt and pervert the Word of God. You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, 17, For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we Christ. Everything Paul wrote, we know he wrote by inspiration of the, of the word of God. You know, in uh, Galatians chapter 1, I'll give you this verse. We'll give you two verses. Galatians 1, 7, it says, Which is not another. But there will be some that trouble you who would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, you put a different emphasis on that word, a different uh, inflection on the word pervert, and you got pervert. So someone who perverts something is a pervert. Does that make sense? 
Pervert means to malalign, to misshape, okay? Like we talk about perverts in the community and all that, and pedophiles, they perverts. They're malaligned in their brain, they're reprobates, you understand? And they need a millstone cast about the neck, cast in the deepest sea. The verses lead, but the verse leading up to Galatians chapter 1, verse 7, if you look in Galatians 1, verse 6, it's on the screen. Paul says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. And then he goes on to say, we know which is not another, but there's some that trouble you. There are, guys, there's always going to be enemies out there, enemies of the truth. And one of the reasons, one of the ways you know you have the truth is how many people fight against it. How many people want to copy it, emulate it? You know, nobody's copying fakes out there. You don't see any, any reproductions of fake paintings, reproductions of fake, you know, of fake jewelry, do you? You see reproductions, which are worthless, but reproductions of the, of the real deal. So with everything that, that we have biblically and accurately applied concerning Ephesians 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, the only way that the Calvinists gets their, their little five-point doctrine is they have to pervert the Word of God, they have to corrupt the gospel, they have to teach another gospel, one in which places you, listen carefully, places you in the body of Christ before Christ died for sins, it removes your free will, that's known in, in, in their mind, irresistible grace, that's the eye of the tulip. Your free will's gone, okay? Irresistible grace, which free will has been with mankind, guys, since the beginning. Else Adam and Eve wouldn't have taken to that tree. If they wouldn't have had free will, they'd have never committed the first sin. The other gospel removes the conversion. Think about this for just a second. It, and I don't, it doesn't matter what fancy words they pull. And there's some great speakers that people love to hear. And they love to repost their stuff and repost their quotes and do all this and that. And at the root, they ain't nothing but chosen, frozen dead gospel teaching Calvinist. And they attack the book of Ephesians. This is why we are addressing it right out of the chute. So the other gospel, the Calvinistic gospel, removes the experience of Paul on the road to Damascus when he was convicted and said, and he trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what would thou have me to do? If he's chosen, he wouldn't have had to ask right? Chosen, frozen. If he was, you know, preordained, whatever you want to call it, 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 he wouldn't have to ask. Irresistible grace. Matter of fact, if it's so irresistible, why did the Lord strike him down blind? If it's so irresistible, why, you know, why, why did Paul say, who art thou, Lord? He knew who he was. It was a confirmation. It was Jesus Christ. And he says, I am Jesus Christ whom thou persecutest, Right? So in order to teach and believe this other gospel, you've got to remove the conversion of Paul on the road to Damascus, period. You've got to remove uh, uh, the experience of the Ethiopian eunuch when he was convicted, who said, and uh, as they went along their way, there came unto a certain water, and the eunuch say, uh, said, See, here is water. What doth hindereth me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Very next verse, verse 38, he says, commanded him both to halt and went down the, in the water and he baptized him. Isn't it funny how the NIV and the majority of the other new perversion manuscripts remove verse 37 out of their books? And they put an asterisk there. Now at the bottom of the page is 
older and better manuscripts have removed this verse. God didn't, listen, God didn't inspire asterisks, do you understand? So if you want to take this other gospel, the Calvinistic gospel, not only do you have to remove the experience of Paul on the road to Damascus, the Ethiopian eunuch, when he was convicted uh, uh, in the chair, you've got to remove the experience of the Philippian jailer when convicted, said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, their answer was, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou, thou shalt be saved in thy family, right? In thy home, or the house, yeah, right? Why didn't, why didn't they just say, oh, you already saved, man. <laughs> you got in before the world, man. You, hey, you're all good now. Two seconds ago when you're going to kill yourself, now you was bad then. But you were still going to heaven, you just didn't know, because the grace is irresistible. See how stupid this is? Yeah, I mean, it's idiotic. But, they, but Calvinists and Reformed theologians, they, 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 they play themselves as being educated elites. And, what they, and I'm going to show you here in a moment what they do with their verbiage to make them appear they are. Furthermore, guys, verses like this, Romans in chapter 5, verse 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Now, not then, now. Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If. Romans 5, 9 says now. Romans 10, 9 says if. These are, uh, this is a pretense verse in chapter 5, verse 9. This is a conditional clause in chapter 10, verse 9. And something changed now by saying now, which was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how you get the word now. Much more than being now justified. The condition of your salvation is your confession, not your chosen state, before sin was ever paid for. It's a lie from hell. And guys, millions are blinded today. You know why they're blinded? Because they're lazy. They're just lazy. That's at the end of the day, they're just lazy as all get out. So let's sum it up. And we'll settle it for good. And we'll be done with tonight and get into our prayer meeting. And this is how this, I could have summed this up 20 minutes ago. If you were in Christ before the foundation of the world, according to the scripture, you fell out of Christ in Genesis chapter 2 in order to get into Adam. Whereupon... You fell out of Adam to get back into Christ when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. My question is this. If you were already in Christ once before and you jumped out and got in Adam, now you're jumping out of Adam back into Christ. Who's to say you're not going to jump back out of Jesus get back in Adam again? Right? You know what it's called, guys? It's called common sense scripture. It's called common sense scripture. We are saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. That grace is resistible. The Bible speaks about people searing, searing their, their, heart, their heart with a hot iron. You sear something to keep not only things in, but to keep it out as well. And here's the funny thing. It ain't funny, it's sad, but... In all of my life, in all of my Christian life, I've only met one Calvinist who believed he was not chosen. Only one. 
I've never met a Calvinist whose family wasn't all going, you know, they're all good, they're all chosen. I met one guy one time who, who, just listening to him, he sounded like he was dancing around the doctrine of Calvinism, and he was a missionary to a, to a foreign land, and we were in our back porch, or back, what that thing called, sunroom in Tennessee, and, and um, I sat down with him, I said, brother, I said, listen, I, I, I need to know something. He was staying in our mission's house there. I said, I need to know something. I said, and I just asked him, I said, are you a Calvinist? Do you, are you a 5.2 Calvinist? He goes, no, nah, I don't think I am. I, you know, I, I really don't understand the whole thing. I was like, well, you either, under, you either think that you were saved from the very beginning or you think that you're not. You either think that a group was chosen to be saved and a group was chosen not to be saved. No, nah, he goes, I don't think it's that. He goes, but he said, but this is what I believe. He goes, I believe that there's a select amount of people out there who are going to be saved, and that is true. And he goes, in our job, and then he goes, but I think there's a select amount of people who are not going to be saved. Fair enough. I get that too. Hell hath enlarged herself. All right. Well, we get that. I said, and so my next question was, well, then were you chosen to be saved? Away from your, any validation, away from your own choosing, away from your own free will? He said, well, it's not bad. He goes, I said, then why share the gospel? He said, well, look, here's the deal. It's not that I was chosen through this path, but there's a group that are chosen to be saved, and my job as a missionary, he said, is to make them aware they're chosen. So I gave the same look, brother. The look that the, what you did right then and there is exactly what I did. I said, make them aware. I said, you've got to make them aware they're saved. I said, you mean to tell me the Holy Spirit of God, who moved upon the face of the deep, Amen. And created all things. Something that big is going to move into man, woman, or child, and they're not going to know it? He goes, well, no, no, I didn't look at it like that. I said, well, you better start looking at it like that. I said, because you're not pe making people aware they're saved. You've got to make them aware they're lost. And there's a Savior out there who died for them, who loved them enough, and that their acceptance, their free acceptance of that salvation is what's going to get them to heaven. Not some spiritual muckety-muck that happened 6,000 years ago and your name got written down. It doesn't add up, man. You can't butcher Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 without butchering hundreds of other verses. And you can't teach that you were in Christ in the beginning and then you got out of Christ and got in Adam, then you got out of Adam and got in Christ without understanding that, well, you can get back out of Christ, I guess. If you got out of them once, you can get out of them again. So it doesn't add up. Ephesians is under attack. It's been under attack for thousands of years, guys. It's been under attack since Paul wrote it, you know, in the mid, mid, middle part of the, of the first century. It's been under attack by critics. It's been under attack, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, for 2,000 years. Uh, naysayers and Judaizers and Bible correctors and They've come up with some type of doctrine. They've come up with false doctrines because of their own ineptness, because of their own incontinency, because really and truly of their own impotent view on the Word of God. They have no strength. They're, they're, they are paralyzed on what the Scripture is. And so therefore they compensate it by creating new doctrines. And that's how you get a post-millennial teaching in dispensations. 
It's how you get a mid-trib teaching and dispensations. People let their eyes affect their hearts so much that it takes away from their belief and their security in the Holy Word of God. I've told you time and time again, guys, I, I don't care if little green men come down out of a spaceship. I'm not going through the tribulation period. I'm going to be raptured out of here. And ain't nothing I see going to change that. I have not misunderstood the Holy Scripture. It is plain, and it's black and white ink. And there is nothing, there is not one thing that's going to happen in this world that's going to shake me from that belief. It may get bad, it may get rough, it may get tough, but you know what I'm looking for? I'm not looking for Jesus on a white horse. I'm looking for him to descend in the clouds and call me home. Amen? And that's what you need. You stay rock solid with the dispensational and biblical teaching that God has given us through this Holy Scripture. And guys, you'll never go wrong. But you start leaning on your own understanding like these Calvinists have. These reformed theologists and all this and that, spending too much time at a desk and not enough time out uh, witnessing the people that Jesus Christ loved so much that he died for. Amen. Put the pen and paper down and go tell somebody the gospel. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the, the time tonight. We thank you for this, uh, this time of study. Pray this evening, Lord, that you just take, uh, take the Holy Scripture, Lord, write it upon our hearts, Lord. Help us to just remain steadfastly faithful. And, and believing and, and holding to the truth of the Holy Scripture. Father, I want to lift up now our missionaries that we support through our, these, through our local churches here. Uh, Father, I pray for them, and whether they're in a meeting right now or not, I pray for them, or no matter where they may be in the world, Father, I ask you to please have your hand upon them, keep them soundly and, and secure in their life. Lord, I do love you, and I thank you for all you've done, for who and what you are, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, praise the Lord. Okay, guys, so 